This is episode number 88, Eat Real to Heal with Nicolette Richer. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I don't believe in juice cleanses because they do more harm than good, and not from the sugar intake. It's actually because the juices stimulate the body to release toxins, but the body hasn't set itself up to be able to get the toxins out of the body really quickly. So what you end up doing is circulating all these toxins in your bloodstream, and then they just get reabsorbed and do further damage in the body. What's up guys and gals? Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I hope your year has been off to a great start. I know this podcast has been, I've been really excited about some of the guests that we've had on and how the year has started with the show. Thank you so much for listening. This show wouldn't be what it is without you. And I really appreciate all of your support. I just got back last night from El Paso, Texas, where I did my very first race of the year, the El Paso Puzzler. And it's a 50 mile mountain bike race. It's one of the hardest 50 mile races in the country, if not the hardest 50 mile mountain bike race. And when I say country, I mean in the United States. And I took my second win at this race. My favorite thing about El Paso is the community there, and also it's just a really fun place to ride. Matt and I will be recording a podcast episode for the next episode of this show, so make sure that you are subscribed, hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on that one. I wanted to give a big massive thank you and shout out to those of you supporting my work financially on Patreon. I really appreciate it. It really does make a huge difference in improving the show and also just keeping the show going, keeping the lights on. There is a great team of people that are now helping me get this show out every week, making sure that things are streamlined and helping ensure that we have great guests. So if you want to help support my work, please go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And you can also make a one-time donation. I've had people email me about that. So if you're interested in making a one-time donation, feel free to just shoot me an email and we can get that set up. Another thing you can do that's massively helpful is simple. Just share the show with your friends. Take a screenshot, post it on social media, or just tell your friends about it. It's the best way to get the word out about my show. And I'm so thankful that this show has been bringing you guys value. And I really appreciate all the messages you've been sending me. It makes me smile. It's my purpose. It makes me feel fulfilled. So thank you so much for taking the time to send me those messages. And the last thing you can do is simply leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open up the app. And if you're already subscribed, it can be confusing because there's no place to leave a review. So just open Apple Podcasts and make sure you type in my name instead of going to what you're already subscribed to. Scroll down to the bottom after you have opened up the show and at the bottom, it'll show the star rating. So if you can do that, there's been in the US over 160 people who have left reviews and I would really appreciate to see a few more. Thanks again. All right, so let's get into this week's amazing guest. Nicolette Richer is making huge strides in the power of natural healing. She's an entrepreneur and owner of the delicious Whole Foods plant-based organic cafe franchise, The Green Mustache. And I first found The Green Mustache when I was in Whistler for an event and I was looking for a good vegan option. And I was really excited whenever I went there because a lot of times vegan restaurants can be unhealthy. Well, not The Green Mustache. There's lots of Whole Foods plant-based options, heavy in vegetables, and they have cold pressed juices and smoothies. And they also have local products that they're selling. And I think that that's really cool that they're also supporting local people. Nicolette is a pretty accomplished person. She's a TEDx speaker. She's an author. Her new book is Eat Real to Heal, which I highly recommend picking up. She's host of the podcast Eat Real to Heal and founder of Richer Health. She also appeared on Dragon's Den, the TV show. Nicolette has used clean eating to personally help heal people with cancer, type 2 diabetes, skin conditions, and more. And I tell you, it's really powerful whenever you get to talk to people who have used a whole foods plant-based diet to cure themselves. And I've had the luxury of getting to talk to some people on this podcast about how they've used diet to find maximal health, how some of them have been terminally ill and are alive and well many years later. 
And it's really just amazing what the impact it can have on your life when you add in more healthy fruits and vegetables into your diet. I know that it sounds repetitive and you always hear eat more fruits and vegetables, but the Canada Food Guide has changed to support eating no dairy and also it says protein instead of meat just because there's so much evidence showing that eating a whole foods plant-based diet is the healthiest diet for us. If you want to start eating more this way and you don't even have to go 100%, feel free to join my free Facebook group, the Plant Power Tribe, and also it's Plant Power Tribe on Instagram. Everybody's welcome. You don't have to be 100% plant-based. And another resource I want to share is Dr. Greger from nutritionfacts.org has an app called The Daily Dozen. And it just has recommended servings of fruits, vegetables, legumes, and other delicious items just to add into your diet. So if you still want to eat meat and dairy, you can add in all of these other things. And what you might find is that it crowds out all the less healthy food items and that you'll start really enjoying the plant-based options. Okay, back to Nicolette. Nicolette's mission is to ensure that people know human health and environmental health are inextricably linked and that we can cure our diseases through our diet. Some interesting topics discussed in this podcast and five things that you're going to learn is all about Gerson therapy. And you may or may not have heard of this. I heard of Gerson therapy in one of the documentaries I watched, but I was really happy to get to ask more questions about it. If juicing is healthy and should you have juices or smoothies, how she built the green mustache and how she's found balance in life, especially for entrepreneurs and her experience on the dragon's den. There's a lot more interesting information in this show, but those are some key takeaways that I think you're really going to enjoy. All right, y'all, here is my fun and informative conversation with Nicolette Richer. Welcome to the show, Nicolette. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to be chatting with you today. I know. I mean, I've been to some of the Green Mustache locations and connected with some of the employees there and they put me in touch with you. And it's so fun to get to learn more about the Green Mustache and also about all the other endeavors you're working on. Yeah, we have definitely a lot ago. 2018 was a really big year for us. I mean, in fact, the last five years have been, but yeah, no, we have some good projects and programs and services in place, I believe, to help make people healthy. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of get to the beginning of your health journey because some people always forget like how people get to where they are today. And I know that your story is really interesting. So how did you get into all this? Yeah, I mean, I get asked that question a lot. And it really started, I would say about 20 plus years ago when I was first in university. And I was definitely attracted to anything related to the environment and soil quality, in fact. And I wasn't, you know, I was really coming at it from an environmental perspective more than a human health perspective, which ultimately they're linked. But it was more about save the planet, other, you know, more than reverse disease in humans. So it started then. And then, of course, you know, the stuff that you focus on and you tend to just be drawn to more and more of that. And so a friend of mine, her dad, who was I was very close to, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and he was given about three months to live. He was 72 years old at the time. And he used to come by our place all the time. I lived right next door to my, to my friend. And, you know, so our parents were always coming and going out of this wonderful, we call it the commune. It was called the colonial on the North shore. And it's just where 12 of us lived in this amazing house with six units. And, you know, we used to grow wheatgrass together on our back porches and we had, you know, gardens that we would grow as food as we could. And, you know, we were doing it because it just felt good and it felt right to do before it was, you know, this is before all the food porn and yeah, I didn't even know what the word vegan was at that time. So when my friend's dad, he came over one day and, you know, told us that he was diagnosed with cancer and that he was not going to do chemo or surgery or radiation. We were all shocked because that's all we knew at the time is what you did when you were diagnosed. And instead he said he was going to turn to a plant-based diet. And it was specifically the Gerson therapies. You know, I didn't know anything about it at the time. I was actually involved at this time now in all levels of government doing environmental policy work and environmental education. So developing programs. And so when he said he was going to turn to a plant-based diet, I just thought he was out to lunch, literally out to lunch. And But he did. And we would watch him every time he'd come to visit and he'd be eating these foods 
that were regular foods, potatoes, carrots, broccoli, you know, lots of Brussels sprouts and potatoes. And he'd have his cooler full of cold pressed organic juices. And this is, you know, well over more than, well, this is 22 years ago. And his food wasn't, didn't look much different than our food that we were eating, except what we know now is that our food was also smothered in, you know, lots of, it wasn't organic. It wasn't, you know, it was smothered in lots of salt and refined oils and refined sugars and all of those things. And where his food was just devoid of that, it still looked nutritious and delicious and beautiful, but it just contained nothing that came out of a package or had a label. And sure enough, he reversed his cancer, stage four cancer, and he ended up living another 22 more years. He actually just passed away this past year. And he was 90 years old at the time. And, you know, he was still working up to almost the day that he died. So that was incredible. And so that changed my world entirely. And being a researcher, I had to dive into the whole food as medicine, plant whole foods movement. And so I did that. And that's where the journey really, truly began. Yeah, it's always incredible when you hear those stories because it's like, oh, yeah, it's a friend of a friend. But I've had the luxury of interviewing some people and looking them into their eyes and them telling me, yeah, I was terminally ill with cancer and I was supposed to die. And it's been like five years and they're still alive. And I I think that I think that it, it doesn't always sink in whenever you hear those stories that it's actually true and that the food that we put in our body actually can heal our body or it could also harm our body. Exactly. And I think that's the best thing ever is that food either harms or it heals. And it's exactly the same way as the planet. I mean, we would never, you know, the concept of dumping poisons into our soils and waterways and everything. I mean, everybody's working so hard against that to prevent that from happening. I mean, and it happens in abundance, but nobody truly looks at their own body and recognizes it as its own planetary system that's connected to everything else and that you can't fill it full of foods that are packaged, processed, refined, and expect the body to do well and to heal. It's really not any different than, you know, looking at the the greater earth and the planet that we live on, really. So I'd love to chat with you about Gerson therapy, because I have seen that in some of the documentaries, but I haven't really become well versed in it. And I was really excited whenever I learned that you actually know quite a lot about it. So can you explain what Gerson therapy is and how it's used? Yeah, definitely. And when I first learned about it, it was the same thing that everybody comes across. You go into Google and then you see all, you know, it's a conspiracy and it's a, you know, a cult or it's a whatever. It doesn't work and it's, you know, pretend. But at the end of the day, the Gerson therapy is probably one of the most scientifically researched metabolic nutritional therapies that are out there. It's about 100 years old. It was developed by Dr. Max Gerson, who was a German-Jewish doctor living in Germany at the time. And he had been trained just like every medical professional out there, but never, of course, trained about nutrition. So when he was sick with migraines, somebody else, a colleague of his said, hey, you should consider your diet. And that's what he did. So he experimented with food and, you know, lots of processed packaged food that would stimulate the migraines. He ate lots of plant-based whole foods and he realized that would stimulate the migraines if it was organic. Then when he just ate foods that were devoid of pesticides and herbicides and insecticides and that had no refined sugars, oils, or salt, so like the typical what everybody calls the SOS diet now, sodium oil and sugar-free, well then he wouldn't get migraines. So he started to research to try to understand, well, you know, how does my body respond to the food? And one thing he realized he hadn't learned and studied while he was in med school was really the immune system. And this is back in 1918. And he said, well, there's something at work here because when he started to teach this therapy to his colleagues who taught it to their patients and he taught it to his patients, well, they were healing of all different types of diseases. So the most important thing to recognize about it is that it is a plant-based whole foods, unrefined, 100% organic diet where you eat the foods in abundance. So for somebody who has stage four cancer, they would be consuming about 23 pounds of organic fruits and vegetables and some grains in a day. And that's a lot of food. It actually equates to about 6,600 calories a day, which a lot of people say, that's absurd. You can't eat that many calories in a day. And sure enough, what it does is that it goes in and it stimulates the endocrine system, the metabolic system, the immune system, the mitochondria, which is our powerhouses and that produce energy. 
And then once the body has enough energy stored up, it actually uses it to regenerate the body. So it's a regenerative therapy as well. And when I say it's nonspecific, that's because if you have Crohn's disease or any type of autoimmune disorder like MS or type 2 diabetes, or if you have heart disease, or if you have cancer, or if you have acne, or if you want to lose weight, it's the same therapy because it's the body will utilize the nutrients from the therapy to then do what it needs to do to stimulate the innate healing capacities of the body. Now, and specifically, you know, for people to take in if they don't have potentially a science background, but so ultimately what it is, is that you get in all your nutrients by food and juicing and the juices, a good way to look at the cold pressed juices is that they're an IV transfusion of nutrients directly into your bloodstream without them having to affect, put extra fiber in the diet to stimulate the digestive system. So it allows the digestive system to rest, but the food is equally important as well. So you need all of that beautiful plant-based and soluble fiber to stimulate the microbiome and do all the other things that fiber does in the body. And so the diet is really important. So the food is consists of cooked food, raw food, eaten in abundance. It can be baked. It can be slow cooked on the stove and, you know, turned into the dressings or soups. You know, So it looks very much like, you know, just regular grandmother style home cooked meals. And then on top of that, you have to then, when the food and the juices stimulate the tissues in the cell to neutrify, then what the body will naturally do is start to dump toxins out of the tissues, out of the organs, and into the bloodstream, which then everything ends up at the liver. So you need to stimulate the liver to speed up its detoxification processes. So you have to do coffee enemas, and there's really no other substitute for the coffee and you do the coffee enemas to support the liver in detoxifying. And this is really important for people who have cancer because what they're also detoxifying is the damaged, necrotic, dead, cancerous cells that leave the body once the body starts healing itself. And then, of course, the last, the fourth component of the Gerson therapy is that for most people who are in mid-stage to late-stage advanced disease, they've already affected their nutrient balance in their body, so they're deficient in nutrients. So the way you restore those nutrients, that they're not going to be able to do it just through the food and the juicing alone. So there are some specific supplements that they do have to take, but these supplements are pure. They're not contaminated with fillers and preservatives and all of those things that a lot of our supplements are contaminated with. And they're actually, I call them base supplements because they're there just to stimulate what the body already knows how to do. And you take these supplements for a short period of time, really just to get the body back into self-repair mode, and then you don't have to take them anymore. And I'm sure you've been asked this before, but the coffee enema comment, exactly what it sounds like? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. And usually everybody's eyes bug out and they're like, where am I putting the coffee? So you don't drink coffee while you're on this therapy, but you do take it rectally. And it's not meant to cleanse the colon and cleanse the intestinal tract like a high colonic is. It's actually meant you take it on your right side and it's meant to go directly to the liver through the hepatic portal vein system. And then it stimulates the liver to actually produce more bile. And obviously there's, you know, hundreds of other mechanisms that it stimulates, like being able to tackle the estrogen load, the excess estrogen load in the body. So uh, the coffee enemas help with that. Um, They help to stimulate glutathione as transverse production, which then helps with all the free radicals. So they stimulate that antioxidant kick in the body that your liver naturally does anyway. So yes, it goes directly to the liver. And yes, the coffee is taken rectally like an enema. Okay. And then also I have friends that go to naturopaths and they get these like IV infusions of vitamins. Like it's not the same as eating, you know, and taking it in through your digestive system, but through Gerson therapy, do people also do that or is it only through diet? It's generally just through the food, the juicing, the supplements, and then the coffee enemas to support the detoxification. And so some of the Gerson practitioners who are Gerson doctors, they would, they may recommend to certain patients or some of my clients to go get an IV transfusion. Usually we recommend that when people have mental health issues. So if they've been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or panic attacks, because what we need to do is give them high dose magnesium to begin with. And that usually takes about three days to stop the symptoms of depression. And then that gives them enough of that energy to be able to make wise choices around starting 
something like the Gerson therapy. But generally, I mean, people don't have to go for those because you're taking in so many nutrients. And the best way to take them in is um, when you take something orally or if you take it on your skin is another good way. But you stimulate all the digestive systems in the body. And you stimulate the glands and the saliva and the bile production and you activate the stomach and you activate the peristalsis action in your intestines. So taking things in orally or is often when you have to chew or swallow is a really good way to start the healing process in the body. So while I do believe in the IV transfusions, you would not normally do them on Gerson therapy unless the individual, there's an additional protocol added to their program. And what is the success rate of using Gerson therapy specifically to treat cancer? Yeah, it's a really great question. And it's a really difficult one to answer because of the fact that it's a lifestyle change program. So anytime somebody starts something that requires an intense lifestyle change, like you're in your kitchen, you're cooking, you have to do the Gerson therapy for about a year as well, because a lot of people will start to do it, see results really quickly. And they're like, oh, I'm all healed. And then they want to stop. But what they don't realize is that their body hasn't fully healed entirely because it takes about anywhere from five to 20 years to literally grow cancer in your body before it can even be detected. So that's five to 20 years of slow, ongoing chronic damage to the body. So you're not going to heal it overnight. So to be able to give those statistics is really challenging. There was a retroactive case study that was done and published in a journal magazine. And what that showed is that looking at all the cases of people who had actually done the Gerson therapy, the success rate. And it did show that it was tremendously higher in its success compared to conventional treatments of chemo, surgery, and radiation. But also what the problems are with the study is how they're designed. So if you try and lump in surgery, chemo, and radiation into one study, that's not really a very good study because surgery is often more effective than chemo is for treating cancer. And so the minute you lump it together, then you're not showing the true success rate. So it's really, really hard to know. But I know from my clients that do the Gerson therapy and stick to it, we have such a high success rate of reversing diseases. And in fact, I've only had one client in, I mean, gosh, hundreds. And if not, I think I'm on thousands of clients that it was a genetic case where we saw that the therapy wasn't working. And so we sent her for genetic testing. She was an Olympic athlete and something just didn't feel right. And so I really encouraged her to go get that genetic testing. And she did. And sure enough, she wasn't able to digest and assimilate long chain fatty acids. But for people who do it at the end of the day, I mean, the body is designed to heal itself and that's what the therapy is doing. I mean, I just had a client who was having in emergency for gallstone attacks. And then eventually the doctor said, the surgeon said, hey, we got to get you in and remove your gallbladder. And she also had cervical cancer and postpartum depression. And she said, okay, hold on. I want to try this therapy. They thought she was crazy. And sure enough, I mean, she healed her body and never had to get her gallbladder removed. And it only took three months. She no longer has postpartum depression. She lost 51 pounds. Her cervical cancer is, you know, unheard of right now. So that's in check as far as we know from all her lab results. So it's the kind of thing that when you do it, you have to do it. You have to stick to it. There's no mixing and matching therapies. You don't do it for a week and see if you get results. It's a commitment. And so that's the reason why it's really hard to show success rates. Okay. And I'm really glad that you brought up juicing because this has been kind of a source of confusion for me. I always hear that you shouldn't drink juice because it lacks the fiber, but you said for Gerson therapy, you actually don't want to have the fiber in there so that you can get more of it in and give the digestive system a break. So for people who don't have a disease that they're treating, I see people doing like juice cleanses or just reaching for a juice instead of a smoothie. Can you talk about the difference between the two and when you should have one versus another? Definitely. So going back to the beginning, because I don't want to throw people off of having smoothies and I don't want to throw people off of having juices. But the problem with the juicing is not the fact that people think that it's, you know, loaded in sugars and all of those things. But your body needs sugar. Your body relies 100 percent on glucose. It is the basic molecule that every single cell in your body needs. So most people are getting refined sugars, which do a lot of damage. They're not getting whole food, plant-based sugars. Now, yes, it's way better to take your natural sugars in with the fiber. So that slows the uptake. It does all, you know, a bunch of other things in the body. But on Gerson, you eat the food as well as take the juices. So you never have a day where you're not eating food on the therapy. So I don't believe in juice cleanses because they do more harm than good. And not from the sugar 
intake. It's actually because the juices stimulate the body to release toxins, but the body hasn't set itself up to be able to get the toxins out of the body really quickly. So what you end up doing is circulating all these toxins in your bloodstream, and then they just get reabsorbed and do further damage in the body. So I've seen people do juice cleanses where afterwards they gain so much weight, they damage their pancreas, end up in the hospital, where you know I've just seen so many stories. The other thing, the reason why I don't like juice cleanses is because it's not a lifestyle change. The person will pay 600 bucks for a juice cleanse, do it for three to six days or even a month, And then what happens is they haven't developed the proper habits, the good habits of preparing clean food, buying organic food, making it. And that's a time-consuming process. And it doesn't have to be. We teach how it doesn't have to be. But for a lot of people that they haven't adopted the habit, so what they do is go back to their old lifestyle of coffee in the morning, processed refined food, drinking in the evenings. And then what happens is that they feel terrible about themselves and they're like, well, that juice cleanse didn't do anything. And so it gives the juice cleanse a bad name, but it also stimulates the body to detoxify too quickly. So I don't encourage them. And when it comes to drinking smoothies, on the Gerson therapy, we do not do smoothies because that would be way too much fiber and you would never be able to get in enough nutrients. So by eliminating the fiber out of the smoothies, you're left with a juice, which means you can take in four times more vegetables and fruits, and it's predominantly vegetables. And when you do that, you're getting four times more nutrients because you'd never be able to have 13, up to 13 eight-ounce smoothies in a day. Right. So for people who are just kind of like the average person when they're going out and they want to grab a juice, is that healthy for them to grab a juice? And if so, like what type of juice should they be grabbing? Because you did mention that the Gerson therapy juices are high in vegetables. So definitely stop drinking the celery and the cucumber juices, people. So most restaurants and cafes, that's and right now there's a huge craze around drinking celery juice. And the number one point about the Gerson therapy as well is that there's absolutely no additional sodium because the basis of chronic disease is really comes down to toxicity, nutrient deficiency, but also an imbalance of our sodium potassium pump. And this sodium potassium pump, it takes about a year and a half to reverse it. And our body is meant to have about 70% potassium and 30% sodium in our cells. Now, we've managed to reverse this because of all the processed refined packaged food that has predominantly high amounts of sodium and very little amounts of potassium. So when people juice celery and cucumber, the restaurants are doing it and the juice bars are doing it because it produces a high volume of juice, but it is so high in sodium, okay? And this puts so much pressure on the thyroid. It puts so much pressure on our cells and it further causes damage. So on the Gerson therapy, we never juice celery or cucumber. So for people who are wanting to know what kind of juice to go out and get, the easiest one to get and that all kids love, people love, is a simple green apple and carrot juice. And you know the ratio is four medium-sized organic carrots to one green apple, and you take the core out of the apple. Don't remove the skin. Keep that on. A lot of nutrients in there. And then what you want to do is juice that and drink it. And this is so stimulating for the liver and really supports the liver. It helps it to convert the vitamin A. The beta carotene is in there. I mean, there's, and plus there's a million other nutrients. So that's a really easy juice to drink. Now, everybody loves to juice their kale as well. And we don't juice kale as well on the Gerson therapy. It's too high in oxalic acid, which puts a lot of pressure on the body. So juice all the leafy greens. So you can juice the, and kale is not a leafy green. It's part of the cruciferous vegetable family. So you want to juice like the romaine lettuce is very healing for the body. So that's predominantly what we use. And then chard, inner beet greens, um, anything that contains those ingredients. And then you can pair it with an apple. And, you know, we juice it with green pepper and red cabbage, which is also very healing to the body. So it's not a typical green juice that you'd ever find in any other juice bar besides the green mustache. Okay. Awesome. I think that's a really great overview. So when did you leave your job to start doing all of this on your own? I noticed you have a YouTube channel, Riche Health, and that you published your first book last year and you've been doing a lot of speaking. So what's been the metamorphosis of this? Yeah, I started Richer Health on the side of my desk when I was still working in government. And I started putting that together. And I was actually hired by government, by the HR departments to teach the employees about how to put nutrients in their body and detoxify so they, they can really address the mental health issues that are really like inundating so many environments and people's homes. And so 
I started giving these talks over a decade ago. And then for the next five years, I stayed in government and then started consulting with people. And then it was actually five years ago, almost to the date. We've just been open five years as of December 22nd. And I just realized one day that I was helping so many people reverse their diseases off the side of my desk. And I thought, well, I could probably help a lot more if I created the restaurant and really dove further into the consulting and coaching world. So yeah, I started doing some market research. I used to make juice in my house with my baby on my hip and pregnant and used to deliver it to restaurants and say, hey, could you sell this juice and just tell me what you think or even give it away and tell me what you know your customers think about it. And sure enough, the restaurants were like, this is amazing. So I started to ask these restaurants to add organic plant-based meals to their menu plans. And they just looked at me and said, I was crazy. They're like, no, people won't pay for that. They want their salty burgers and fries. And so after a while with all these, you know, dozens and dozens of clients that were reversing their diseases, they kept coming back to me and saying, hey, Nikki, we really need a place where we can eat out because part of doing the Gerson therapy is quite a lonely process. If you don't have an incredible family system and friend system and community supporting you because there's nowhere you can eat out and get food that doesn't have preserved, packaged, processed, refined ingredients. So they were housebound. And Part of being healthy is that you have a community and that you eat together and dance together and sing together. And that's where it can be isolating when doing the Gerson therapy. So I just kept on saying, please, Nikki, can you like, you know, create a restaurant or a cafe or juice bar or something to make it easier for them? And that's when I took the leap five years ago and sold our house, took our life savings, which wasn't very much money. And we started the first Green Mush. That's that's awesome. And you had kids at the time, too. And a lot of times people will say or I hear people saying like, well, I'd start my own business, but I have kids. So how did you mitigate that risk? Like, how did you know that this was going to be the right thing? And how did you deal with the thoughts of, well, what if this doesn't work out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I was naive. And I think that's (laughs) where people are able to, you know, take huge leaps and bounds in their careers and in their lives. And so I was just naive. I thought, you know what, I have clients that want this. So I just assumed that the world would want it. I knew that I intuitively knew that the world needed it. And so it was actually more of like, I feel like I had this invisible hand on my back that was like, Nikki, go do it. Take every cent that you have, put it in. If you lose everything, the worst that'll come out of it is that you lost your money and I'm resourceful. I can make more. I can get a job. I mean, I wasn't worried about that. And, but I really did feel like I just had to, put this out in the world. And I had this vision of having a cafe literally on top of every McDonald's on the planet. Like that was the vision that I had for the world. And so, and you know, and I, my youngest was two years old. I have three daughters, amazing, incredible daughters. And I would just bring her to our construction site where we were building the restaurant and she would, you know, have a crowbar in her hands and be chipping tiles. And she loved it. She was running around. I'd go pick up my kids from school and they would come back and we would do stuff together. So we made it an entire like it was a family affair, really. And my husband, he was a teacher at the time. So he would come in after work and haul the chip tiles away that we had picked away at. And we didn't have any money for contractors. So we just kind of did it all ourselves. You know, and I think that I used to say that anybody could do what I did. But now I realize that you have to have that ingrained commitment and passion to that big vision. And then when you see it, I think that's when you feel that invisible hand on your back saying, hey, you know what? push forward. And it's okay if you lose everything, because if you don't try this, that would be the greatest regret on earth for me if I hadn't even just given it a go. And I don't know, maybe to end timing, I mean, comes it, I didn't really do a ton of market research outside of my community. I was really just looking at Whistler and I knew that people in Whistler needed it because there were so many people who were these incredible athletes like yourself, these bikers, these skiers and snowboarders, these professional athletes, and they were sick. Like they were on so many medications and pain meds and opioids and their bodies were not healthy and they had diabetes and heart disease, even though they could you know, ride their bikes to the top of the mountain, they were like living on heart meds. And I knew that didn't have to be the way. So, I mean, that was just my story. Everybody's story is very different of how they start their business, but that's how I was able to do it. And I also made the commitment that my family would always come first. So, you know, I try not to miss any recitals or swimming lessons or any of that. And I try and be home for dinner as much as I can, you know, throughout the week, at least, you know, five meals a week to six meals a week, I'm home with my kids. So, you know, you have to set that intention and you have to live by your principles and values. 
And then you just go out there and do what you have to do. And how do you do that? Is it by building a team? Like, because a lot of entrepreneurs, they have to work around the clock to make things happen. And everything else has to be second to their business. So how, like, what are the, the resources that you've done or the things that you can give as advice to have that balance? That's so funny because of the fact that, again, my answer to that question is that I was naive. So when I remember telling people, oh, I'm going to open up a restaurant and they said, you know how crazy that is? Like you're going to be working 24 seven. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to, you know, it's going to be passive income. So I actually set that as my goal that it would be passive income and I wouldn't be working around the clock. So here's what's really about that though, is that yes, I did work around the clock. Like I would go pick up my kids from school, go make dinner, put them to bed. And then I would be up till one o'clock in the morning working. So I did do that. And by year two, I actually burnt myself out after I started the second green mustache. And that's when I had to, you know, put up my white flag and, you know, said to my husband, Hey, I need help in the restaurants. Would you be willing to leave your career as a teacher and jump ship over to the green mustache? And he was so keen to do that. He was ready to give up teaching after 15 years. So then my husband joined the team. But the one thing again about naive is that I just, you know, I set that intention that I would also delegate everything. So I only worked in our cafe for three days when it first opened and I would still be there every day, you know, socializing with the customers, hauling 25 pound bags of carrots from the car to the cafe because our walking cooler was actually 15 minutes away from the cafe. And so I would do that. So yes, I was working, but at the same time, I loved what I was doing so much that it never felt like work. And I made sure to delegate out so that if I was sick or if I couldn't be there, if I had to be with my kids, the restaurant would keep running. So in a way it was passive income, let's say, but I mean, I also paid more to have more staff that were present and available and that would take the place of myself being on the floor, being in the restaurant. So I never gave up a day of consulting with my clients. I'd have customers that would come in and say, you know, I'm so sick and I need, I'm 29 and I need to have my uterus removed like a full hysterectomy. And I would say, great, let's go meet in an hour from now and I will coach you through the Gerson therapy. And then I would do that. And sure enough, they never had to get a hysterectomy or they would get pregnant or I have so many clients that have come to me through the green mustache. So again, I don't think it's a straightforward answer, but I would say for entrepreneurs, if you set the intention to delegate and to not put yourself as the center of the business where you are the one who has to do everything, but if you make sure you only do the stuff that you're extremely good at and that comes easily and that you can do efficiently and all the rest of the stuff you delegate out to someone else, you can actually create that space that you don't have to necessarily be working around the clock. And by doing that as well, you'll actually love what you're doing. And so you're not counting the hours in your work week and saying, oh, I worked more than 40 hours a week. That's what ultimately creates that work-life balance, I believe. I think that's really great advice. It's something that I just started doing this year. I have an assistant now who I've been delegating some of my tasks to, like just sharing with everybody, then people already know this, but like I burnt out hardcore last year because I've been trying to do everything and thinking that I should do everything. And just the empowering feeling of trusting somebody else and somebody that can help you. And then that frees up not only your time, but your energy and your creativity. And it just feels so much better. Oh, definitely. And, you know, at the onset, it can be overwhelming when you're counting the dollars and saying, you know, oh my gosh, my labor wages are, you know, going out and the salaries are increasing. And that means you take home less in your pocket. And often that is what it is initially. But then what it does is it, when you say no to taking on everything yourself, you create the space further creativity, like you mentioned. And then what that does is just naturally grows the business. And so you end up, your revenue increases, you have more time to figure out how to reduce your expenses, you're reaching way more people as well. So therefore, you're helping more people, you're being of greater service to your community. And so I think in the end, once you get over that initial like gulp, you know, like this is how much I have to pay somebody to do this work, that I could be doing. Once you get over that, you realize that it pays back. It pays itself back tenfold. That's awesome. So I saw that you were on the Dragon's Den and I watched it online. So if if people want to watch that, it's available online. What was that experience like? I think it was one of the best experiences in my life. 
from the standpoint that we missed our plane going to Toronto and we still have no idea how we did that. And then my kids threw up on me on the flight, on the way, which they've never thrown up in their entire life. And so that was interesting. They even threw up on the guy next to us, which was terrible. And then everybody proceeded to go down with the flu in Toronto about an hour after finishing filming. But then at the same time, I'm Dragons in itself, like doing the pitch, being up there, having somebody ask you every single question about the business and being super prepared for that just gave me the confidence that, you know, I knew what I was doing in my business. So I prepared really well for it before I'm showing up in Toronto at the CBC studios and then also going through the due diligence process for the following year with the Dragons and team that was also life changing because it taught me so much about working with investors it taught me so much about knowing my financials and also knowing the direction that I wanted our company to take so it was such an important experience at such a critical time in our company as we wanted to grow and we didn't take investment in the end we decided it was too early on for our company it also wasn't a good match for us or for them so in the end we didn't go in that direction and I'm so glad that we didn't but yeah I would redo that experience all over again even if it meant that they tasted our food on air and said "Ooh, gross but the marketing exposure was tremendous like it was huge so it, it was an exceptional experience And I imagine it'd be hard to decide, should I take this investment and also give up some ownership or should we keep going on and try and raise the money ourselves? Like, how did you know what the right decision was? Yeah, at the end, I would say it probably wasn't even our decision because we weren't a good fit for them. You know, one of the things they wanted to do is to see how we can freeze some of our product and put it on grocery store shelves. And they were worried that we don't pasteurize our juices. And I was like, well, that's not who we are. So I had to stick to our principles and values again in that moment. And that was, it wasn't hard to do, but it definitely made me question myself to say like, is this a good business, you know, strategy to turn down $500,000? And, you know, the way I think about, you can't just think about the ownership that you're giving up in the company and the shares that you're going to have to part with. I mean, I think you need to think about it in the context of your entire life. So it's not just in the context of the business, but it's in the context of you as an individual, as a CEO running the company as well. And so right now we're doing a raise and we're ready to exchange shares for equity. And the reason is because we realized that it was a stress off of me as an individual, as a CEO in growing the company further. Like I will feel better inclined to take those calculated risks that if we didn't have that money, I'm, I might say, well, let's just wait two more years to build up enough of the, the cash flow. Let's take on the debt. And I just didn't want to take on that additional financial stress just to free up mind space and heart space for me. So I think you need to look at whether the investment is not only just good for the business, but also good for you as a CEO ultimately. Awesome. And I know that you are currently getting green mustache foods into hospitals. And I also read that you're trying to extend this into possibly schools. So what's that experience been like? And what I mean, it's really interesting, the types of foods that are served in hospitals, things that are known carcinogens, things that actually are going to make people sicker. So how how did you actually get that into the hospitals? So we haven't gotten it into the hospitals yet because of the fact that we've been waiting on a bid that the government has to release. So we were fortunately able to have a meeting about a year and a half, almost two years ago now with the provincial health authorities who manage the contracts for the foods in the hospitals. And they were incredible. They had done all this research on the green mustache and all of our competitors. And what they realized is that we were a really good fit for moving into the hospitals. Then, of course, then it moves into the bureaucratic process, which I know from working in government can take years. And so we've been waiting on that bid. But what we're doing instead now, because we realized we could be waiting for, you know, a few more, they call us all the time and say, okay, it's going to be next month. It's going to be next month. But, you know, we're not holding our breath at this moment, but we are going to jump on it once that bid comes out. Now, what we're doing in the meantime, though, is we launched our vending machine program, which is fantastic because it allows us to take all of our food and put it into a refrigerated vending machine that has a little elevator system so the food doesn't have to come crashing down so we can put all of our delicate meal items in there. And we've already been piloting this program for the last year in a rec center in Whistler. And now we're going to be putting a vending machine into a local hospital in Vancouver. So it's much easier for us to do that than it is to build out a cafe in the hospitals. So that's where we're at right now. And for us, 
It's also, it's been a journey of patience because of the bureaucracy of it all. And just being patient and knowing that this is a 10 year journey for us. You know, right now we're going to move ahead with the vending machines and hospitals. Then we'll move ahead after that once the bid comes out with cafes and hospitals. And then the third stage is to actually be able to influence the patient food. So the food that's actually served to the patients, especially in the oncology ward where, you know, I was working with a nine-year-old client at BC Children's and they were being fed hot dogs and Diet Coke and milk and Jello and one little tiny piece of broccoli the day that I walked in. And it was absolutely criminal that that was happening. But what a lot of people don't realize is that it's not the doctors that are designing the menus, it's the dietitians that are designing the menus that are hired to put those meal plans together. And they're really basing it off four food groups. They're not basing it off of the plethora of nutrients that our body needs in plant-based whole food form. So that's where the huge discrepancy is, and that needs to be changed. So that's been our process with trying to get into the hospitals. But we know we're going to do it, and we know we're close. I can feel that. And now it's just the waiting game. That's really amazing. And it's like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill, trying to change something that has been deeply ingrained for many years. But I think that it's really awesome that you're doing that. And I would love to see those vending machines in airports. Yeah, airports, the ferry terminal, universities where, I mean, we have these beautiful minds that are there to learn. They are the leaders of the future, you know, and uh, no cliche there, but they are the leaders of the future. And why are we feeding them, you know, brain melting food as opposed to brain stimulating food? So yeah, airports are a brilliant idea. And we used to have pilots that would get off their flights drive all the way to our Vancouver location, which is like an hour, you know, good hour from the airport. And then they would go right back to their flight and hop on and then hop on the next flight with, you know, a whole cooler worth of food. So we know that the pilots want it. We know that the stewardesses want it because we had lots of stewardess and flight attendants that were coming in. And definitely, of course, for all those people who work in the airport at all crazy hours, it would be great for them to have food and then all the travelers as well. Cool. So changing gears here, I have some frequently asked questions that people ask on my free Facebook group, The Plant Powered Tribe. One of the questions that gets asked really often is that people have kids or their spouse doesn't want to eat a whole foods plant-based diet. So more specifically, how do you do it with your kids? How do you make it fun for the kids? How do you monitor them and their nutrition? Oh my gosh, I know if my kids are going to be listening, when they listen to this podcast, they're going to be laughing. Um, so the thing that every time they're eating, you know, it always comes back to nutritional value. And is that doing harm for your body or good for your body? And so sometimes they're like, mom, can we just eat in peace, please? And so the way to do it is that, you know, we never said that they couldn't eat anything. We said, we want you to listen to your body and we want you to get to know how the food makes you feel. So I think that's really important. The second thing is we just don't buy foods that are not conducive to health. So when you come into our house, you know, you'll see apples and dates are candy and those are desserts. You'll see that, you know, our fridge is always packed full of vegetables and we have lots of fruit on the counter. We have all 100% whole grain. Everything's organic. So that is the one thing that we do consistently. Now, for our kids, we also, since they were babies, we laid them on the countertop before they can sit up. They would sit on the countertop with a cutting board and a knife between their legs and chopping up whatever that was easy and soft to chop up. We would, you know, let them stir the pots, even if it was the risk of them getting burnt or, you know, the risk of them, you know, cutting themselves, which my kids have never cut themselves in the kitchen, knock on wood. But they just always knew how to handle knives and kitchen utensils and kitchen equipment really well. So, you know, my seven-year-old at our retreats, she comes and does the juicing for our, our retreat guests. And she's only seven. And she knows how to scrub the carrots, chop off the ends, pop them through the juicer, which has 2,000 pounds of hydraulic pressure. She knows not to put her fingers in there, those sorts of things. So I think that's the first thing people need to do is they need to just get their kids comfortable in the kitchen. They also need to expose their kids to a diversity of vegetables and fruits and textures and flavors, because really it's the brain, the animalistic brain that's making this decision. So if kids only know what's that, Annie's mac and cheese, then that their brain is going to just crave Annie's mac and cheese. Like it's going to say, I know that texture. I know the cheesiness. I know the saltiness. Give it to me every day because our brains crave efficiency. So our kids 
save red pepper sticks in their lunch. And so they pack their own lunches. They don't have cheese sticks in the fridge. So we never have to worry about them putting things that are not healthy in their lunches. So that's another thing is that we don't dictate what they have to eat. We just say, hey, this is what you have to choose from. Go for it. So that makes it easy for us. Then the third thing to do, especially when it comes to spouses, and it did, it took my husband a little while, like I'd say a good 10 years to come around, even though cleared his eczema and his mucus production, which was through the roof, like within the first couple of weeks of living together, just by eliminating dairy, eliminating meat, eliminating refined stuff. And all of a sudden his eczema that he had had since he was 14 disappeared and he didn't have to blow his nose and sneeze anymore. So that was amazing. But it's a slow process. So the number one thing you cannot do is dictate to people what they should be doing. You have to be the living example of it. If you want to see change in your household, you need to be the change first. So I never cook two meals in my house, like one for me and one for my family. It's like, if I'm cooking, we're all eating the same thing and you don't have to eat it. You know, if you want something else, then, you know, while the kitchen's open, go into the fridge and you can make it. But again, because there's no competing foods in the house, I never have to worry about my kids pulling out a box of mac and cheese and, you know, making that, you know, so they'll always reach for things that are healthy. And then to also know that just like us, we go through moments of, you know, weakness, like I crave salt and vinegar chips every once in a while. And I don't beat myself up when I have them. But I know it's just a quick moment in time, usually about once a month for some whatever weird reason that is. And then after that, I crave broccoli, I crave big salads, I crave that. So I assume that the same thing is happening with my family as well. So when they're going through those moments, I go, you know what, enjoy it while it's there. But how do you feel afterwards? And then my kids always come back to the whole foods. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And so that's how we do it. And of course, we're moving into the world where my kids are teenagers, moving into being teenagers. I have one teenager and one preteen and they work, they get their own money. And so I can't really control the stuff that they're eating. But again, I just pose that question like, hey, how did that make you feel? And usually they're like, I felt disgusting. It was super fun to eat it, but I felt gross. I'm like, great, hang on to that. And that's how we do it in our household. I know it's so funny how our brain tells us, yeah, eat that. And then you'll eat it and then you feel horrible afterwards. And then you're like, why did I do that? And then somehow you forget for next time and you have to go through this entire process all over again. Yeah. And it's an evolution. So be kind to yourself because I know when I first started with the Kristen therapy, I wasn't ready to give up meat, not because I even liked it, but because I truly believed in the whole protein myth that you needed your meat for protein. And I couldn't find good scientific studies that would mean otherwise. Now, I mean, there's like 80,000 studies being published a year that shows us what like debauchery of research was done previous to that around protein and that you need to get it from meat. So for me, my motivation was the science. For somebody else, their motivation might be how their body feels. I never felt good from when I ate meat, even from a very, very early age. Even though I didn't eat a lot of it, I would sometimes be convinced that you need to have a steak once a month. So that was me 10 years ago. And then, of course, it became other things like, you know, I didn't want to give up the oils, the refined oils. I was like, no, we need olive oil. And, you know, just this past year, well, it's been about two years, I've given up olive oil and any type of refined oil entirely. And so you also have to just to be kind to yourself, figure out what motivates you. For some people, it's how they feel. For some people, it's the research. There's so many different things. Some people, it's connection to animals. And so they have that beautiful social justice piece and around, you know, the ethics around animals. And that's a wonderful thing to motivate you. But you need to know if your motivation is ethical, if it's environmental, if it's humane, if it's social, if it's health related. For some people, it's economic as well. And at the end of the day, they're like, well, I just can't afford expensive meat and cheeses. And so I'm just not going to eat them because I'm going to trust that the research says that, you know, we don't need to be eating that. So understand what your motivation is and then, you know, start with that first and then just be gentle as you learn more, take in more information. And then what you'll slowly do is just start to wean away those things. And now if you showed me some things that I would have eaten a year ago, I'd be like, I can't believe I ever ate that. Like that was not me. Like I can't even believe that I would have done that. But it took time to get to that place. My next question is about organic, and you've mentioned organic multiple times over the course of this podcast episode. So how important is it that people eat organic? Because there are certain items like blueberries, for example, which can be way more expensive than, quote, conventional. So is it better to just eat the conventional ones if you're not going to buy the organic ones than not eat any blueberries at all? So yeah, how important is the organic aspect? 
you know, I started 10 years or 15 years ago with saying like local is more important, but now I'm a hundred percent just from all the studies that have been released that organic. And when I say organic, I mean food that's grown in nutrient dense soil and that's free of pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, and other chemicals. So that is my definition of organic and grown with love, which would be amazing. So we have a lot of farmers that grow our food with love at the green mustache. So that's my other criteria. Organic is so important. And if you can add this link for your audience, it would be great. But it's Dr. Zach Bush's podcast on the Rich Roll podcast. And you can follow Dr. Zach Bush. But he is a leader in why organic food is so critical for people. And it's because we used to think that glyphosate was a pesticide. And it's actually not. It is actually an antibiotic. And glyphosate is the main chemical that is used in Roundup, which is used by actually more so by homeowners just to keep their lawns green and free of pests. Now, that's also used by food, agricultural industry. And so this is getting sprayed on our food. Now, glyphosate, because it's an antibiotic, it absolutely damages our microbiome. And our microbiome is considered like one of our major organs now. It's a complete organ system, they're calling it. And it's because you don't actually feed your human cells. You actually feed the bacteria in your body first, and then they process the nutrients, which then neutrifies our cells. So we've decimated that since about 1986 with the increased use of Roundup around that time. So Roundup is in our water, it's in our air, it's in our soil, and it's in our food. So this is why it's so critical that we absolutely now only commit to eating organic because if we don't get rid of this glyphosate problem right now, then which is a water-soluble chemical, which is terrible because it doesn't break down readily in the environment. And so if we don't get rid of this, the research is showing that by 2030, we're going to see one in three kids born with autism. And autism, we know, is directly linked to a damaged microbiome system. So we have to stop that now. So some people, like they refer to the dirty dozen, which I used to refer to that, but it's, in my opinion, a crock of sorry to swear on your podcast, but just because you get to eat something that's organically grown and you eat the organic full stuff, but you say, well, I'm going to eat the, the stuff that's not on the dirty dozen list. That's not conventionally or organically grown. It's conventionally grown. What you're saying is that it's okay for a farmer in Mexico or New Zealand or California to sit there and spray their crops with glyphosate and all the other chemicals that they use, which eventually make their way into the air and water system and soil and our food anyway. So you're exposing them at high ratios to this petroleum-based chemicals, and you're saying, well, I'm going to be free of them, but it's okay to eat them just because it's not on the dirty dozen list. So at the end of the day, we live on one planet. The water and the air circulates through the entire system. There's no, you know, these pesticides don't have boundaries and border patrols that they have to go through. So eventually it's going to work its way into your system anyway. So it's really, really critical that as a society, we need to get 16% of the world consuming organic produce immediately if we're going to be able to stop those statistics from being a reality. But what about if it's not affordable for people to buy organic? Yeah, great question. So at the end of the day, and this is what I love about the Gerson therapy, it is really affordable. Let's say you don't do the juicing, you just do the diet. I mean, it really consists of the things that grow readily in our backyard. It's the potatoes, the squashes, the zucchinis, the carrots, the beets, the turnips, you know, it's the leafy greens, which grow in abundance. You're like, you cannot stop kale from growing. You'd have to be one of the worst farmers on the world to not be able it to grow kale. so true. That's like the last thing that was left in my garden and it had snowed on it. Like all this stuff had happened and we're like, oh my God, like the kale is still going. Like, how is this possible? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, winter squashes and all of those beautiful things, you can grow the food really easily. And that stuff is so cheap to buy, like if you measure it pound for pound. And so that is why it's so affordable. So when somebody tells me, hey, I can't afford to eat organic, I'm like, actually, you can't afford not to eat organic, first of all. And you know what? Your life is not dependent on whether you eat blueberries or not. Your life is dependent on whether you eat a diversity of whole plant-based foods. That's what ultimately what you need. And you only need about 30 of them in a week really for it to be classified as diverse enough. So if you're getting some leafy greens, root vegetables, you know, vegetables that grow above the ground, some tomatoes, you know, all of those things, those fruits and vegetables go a long way. And then you add in, you know, a little bit of grains, not the way that we eat grains now, but you know, you can buy a big massive bag of long grain organic basmati rice that'll go a long way. And there's so many systems out there now. Like if you are sick, which one in four people are sick, you 
you can go to your local organic produce manager and say, hey, you know what? I really need, it's important for me to eat organic. Could I get the food at cost plus a 10% markup? Because if they don't have to handle the food from the box and putting it on the shelf and then you taking it and going through the teller, then they'll often offer you the food at cost. So there's so many ways to actually eat I would say Sherry Strong of Return to Food is an amazing individual, and she has a wonderful book called To Eat Organic for Less Than $70 a Week. Now, some people might say, oh, $70 is so expensive. Some families I know are living on $50 a week. But, you know, you can really make your food go a long way if you stick to those primary nutritious foods that grow in abundance and they're not expensive. Potatoes are not expensive. And potatoes are not the culprit, by the way. Everybody is uh, on a hang up with potatoes. But if potatoes are one of the most nutritious foods that'll actually make you healthy if you were to eat nothing else but potatoes. Awesome. And what about supplements? I've asked this question to a lot of the different plant-based guests and there's been pretty much similar answers, but sometimes there's a little bit different and especially you're training Gerson therapy. So for the average person, what type of supplement should they be taking if they're eating a whole foods plant-based diet? Yeah. What I love about the supplements is that they're really inexpensive for maintaining your lifestyle. So for the average person, they absolutely need to be taking iodine. If they have no contraindications to iodine, most people don't. And because 95% of our population is deficient in iodine, And we used to get iodine from the soil, but now it's been completely, the soils have been raped and pillaged. So there's no more iodine left in our soil. Now, iodine is critical and it's $11 for a bottle that'll last you a couple of years. Now, B12 is critical as well. You absolutely need that. And again, it's like $11 for, you know, a pretty substantial bottle that'll last you and your family quite a while. So B12 is critical, as I tell everybody that that's a must. Some of the additional supplements, potassium is absolutely critical, and that's very inexpensive. The bottle that we get, it's about $8, and it'll last you a few months, which is great. So the supplements are not very expensive. They don't have the fillers. They don't have the dyes. They're not even branded. They're like literally a white label with black writing. It's hilarious. There's no marketing around them. We get them from a compounding pharmacy, so they don't end up on any, you know, there's no middle person, which is great. So that's also why they're so inexpensive. But I would say the other nutrient that everybody absolutely needs, and this is because most people don't live on a plant-based whole foods organic diet, is magnesium. And magnesium is one of the factors of why we have so much mental health disease on the planet, in addition to deficiency of nutrients. So, you know, these mental health issues really predominantly affect people in North America, Europe, in any so-called developed country, which I think are actually backwards countries. And magnesium is so critical if you want to have brain health so you can think straight, so you can cause your synapses to fire and connect if you can, to simulate your neurons in all parts of your body. So um, that is really, really critical. And again, magnesium is so cheap to take. So, you know, take it transdermally by taking magnesium salt baths, take it orally, take different types of magnesium until you figure out which one is perfect for you. But uh, the minute I ask clients and get clients to take that, their health changes incredibly immensely. So outside of those four nutrients, that's what's critical. But on the Gerson therapy, there are about four or five more that you would take. And um, those include hydrochloric acid because people who are ill don't produce enough hydrochloric acid in their stomachs. Then you take some digestive enzymes because again, people who are ill don't have the digestive capacity to break down their healthy food to get the maximum amount of nutrients. So we give them that again to help with them. We give them a liver supplement to stimulate their liver. We give them a pancreatic supplement and then we give them a thyroid supplement. And then once they have those, they're pretty good to go. Like you see their health turn around overnight, literally. Awesome. And I just wanted to add a couple of short things to your comments. So I recently learned that a big issue with iodine as to why we're not getting it in our diets as well is that a lot of us are eating the sea salt, like Himalayan sea salt or just sea salt, and there is no iodine in sea salt. So if you're not eating processed foods and you're only eating sea salt and you're eating a whole foods plant-based diet, you're not actually getting iodine in your diet. I'm so glad that you said that because it's just really important to keep that in mind. And also with magnesium for athletes. So a lot of times we're, we're, we're eating magnesium, but then we're not absorbing it. And if you have restless legs mm-hmm. at night, magnesium is helpful. And then my husband actually was cramping in every single bike race, like for years and years. And he tried everything, even like normal, you know, sports electrolyte supplements during activity. 
He tried different types of training, and it wasn't until he started taking a higher-dose magnesium supplement and that stopped his cramping in races. So if you're a cramper, a higher-dose magnesium supplement might be really helpful. Exactly. And I agree with both of those comments, especially in teenage girls who are going through puberty need so much iodine. It's the difference between IQ levels, like points in IQ, and not that I believe in IQ testing, but at the end of the day, your brain is so dependent on iodine. And if you're not getting enough iodine, that's also one of the indicators of mental health as well. So it's so important to get your iodine. And then what I love about what a lot of athletes are doing as well, because potatoes are so high in magnesium and potassium, I see a lot of athletes athletes, endurance athletes now just actually carrying baked potatoes in their back pocket, which I think is so cool. And it's because they don't even have to enter into like recovery phase because their body doesn't, it's almost like their body doesn't need to recover after they do these endurance races, but because they're fueling themselves with plant-based, nutritious, nutrient-dense whole foods, but really the magnesium, the potassium, those are two of the salts that your body, it's so crucial that you get that. So I love that you mentioned that about your husband. Awesome. There's so many so many different things that you're doing. You mentioned retreats, you have your book, you have the green mustache, you have your YouTube channel. Where can people find all this information so that they can tap into all of your awesome knowledge? Yeah, I mean, for people who don't want to have to cook for themselves, please come to the green mustache. We have six locations now and opening up a seventh one this year. And that could be found at our website, uh, all those locations. So greenmustache.com and mustache is spelled M-O-U-S-T-A-C-H-E, greenmustache.com. Go to our website at richerhealth.ca and that will guide you to our retreat center website, which is the richerhealthretreatcenter.com. It will also guide you to our eatrealtoheal.ca site. Um, you can buy our book on Amazon. It's called Eat Real to Heal. You can buy it anywhere in the world, which is exciting. And then for anybody who wants to volunteer, we do have a charity organization called Sea to Sky Thrivers Society. And if people want to check us out there, come volunteer with us. We work in indigenous communities to help them remember that they've always held the answers to food as medicine. They um, Indigenous communities were doing it for years and years and years, only until recently in the past, you know, a few hundred years. So that is another one of our great resources. And we have tons of events. So get on our calendar, check out where we're hosting the next event or workshop so you can come and learn directly with us. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really fun talking to you. And I learned a lot of really interesting things. And I know that the audience did as well. Thank you, Sonia. And you keep doing that amazing work that you're doing as well in the world. I know your Facebook site is, you know, very inspiring for so many people. and It's teaching them so many wonderful things as well. So I look forward to staying connected with you. Thanks. How's that for an eclectic and interesting person who has done a lot in her life? I've learned a lot from this podcast episode, not only about eating plant-based, but I really liked how she talked about how she built a team whenever she started her business and how she keeps adding in more, but she's built a structure so that she can scale and grow. And that's something that I struggle with and something that I'm really proud to be working on myself. I think in our society, especially as women, we kind of feel like we need to be doing everything And there's almost shame when we're not doing everything. So I'm really trying to delegate where I can, even like hire a cleaner here and there to come clean my house for me. And it's a little bit awkward sometimes, but we have to make time for the things that we're good at. We have to make time for the things where we're bringing our gifts forward. And if we have the luxury to be able to delegate and get help, then it's really, really beneficial to do that. The biggest thing I learned last year was about energy management, which I didn't do a very good job of. And I really struggled with burnout and I struggled with being tired and unmotivated. And I've been doing a great job this year working on my self-care, which we will be talking about in the next week's episode of this podcast. So again, guys, thank you so much for checking out the show. Make sure you check out Nicolette's podcast, pick up her book, Eat Real to Heal. And if you are traveling, especially in Vancouver area, look up the green mustache and go visit because it's a really great restaurant. Thanks again for your support. I love you guys. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week. 